you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a CastBox original produced in partnership with our friends at Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and all of your favorite podcasts are there right for the downloading. Sacred Symbols is available wherever you get your podcasts, of course, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's pretty rad. To get each episode of Sacred Symbols three days before the public, completely ad-free, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Perks for support include not only getting the show early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to monthly exclusive podcasts, and supporting on Patreon is the only way to get your listener mail read on the air, and much more. Plus, supporting Sacred Symbols on Patreon also nets you perks for other Collins Last Stand shows automatically, including the Nostalgia and Retro Podcast Knockback, the YouTube series dedicated to gaming called SideQuest, and the eclectic interview podcast Fireside Chats. Thank you for your generosity, kindness, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and all things Collins Last Stand would not exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 33. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my Puerto Rican lover, Chris Reagan. Aw, hey, here I am. Whoa, again. It's you again. It's me again. What are the odds? I couldn't believe I can't believe it when you showed up today. It's I know. It's the same man that's here every 33, Monday. 33 episodes. 33 in a episodes row? plus two specials, I think we've done as well. So that's right. 35. Although you weren't on one of the regular episodes, so that brings us down that to is 34. True. But you did a let's play. That's fair. And that brings your content back to 35. Fireside chat, 36. 
It's pretty common. It's a lot of numbers. It's a lot of math. And it's way too much math to be beginning this podcast with, so I'm sorry about that. Welcome, everyone. I hope everyone is doing very well. Chris, are you doing very well today? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Yeah? Yeah. feel good. I feel rested, a little anxious. A little anxious? A little anxious. That's not abnormal. No. 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 Got to go see the uh, psychiatrist after we uh, get out of here. <laughs> go to the room of feelings, as I like to call it. See what happens. See what kind of crazy things are happening in there. By in there, I mean in my head. But we have quite a bit of news to get through today, Chris. Yeah. And quite a few other things that we want to get through. Before I go any further, though, I do want to direct people to the SideQuest, Collins Last Stand SideQuest YouTube channel. We discussed last week that we were going to do a Let's Play since the last episode went up. A Let's Play has gone live. So you guys can go check it out. It's a Let's Play we've done for YouTubers Life OMG on PlayStation 4. People, I don't know if you looked at the comments, people really seem to dig it and, yeah. and want more. So here's what I did, Chris, and I don't know if I told you this. I think we discussed it, but yeah, on Patreon. So as you guys know, this show is supported on Patreon. We appreciate you. About 5,000 of you over there support this show and the other Collins Last Stand shows over there at various levels. If you support us at the $2 level or higher every month, you get to vote in a bunch of elections that determine, you know, different content I do. And I threw up that you can choose over there the next Let's Play that Chris and I do. So you guys are all compiling your choices. We're going to have a final vote on the five biggest choices. Oh my Kingdom God. Hearts 3 is right up there. Really? It's <laughs> almost certainly going to win. Oh, my God. So I might need to I, I, just because I mean, we could easily afford to buy it, but I just I won't buy it. So we'll maybe borrow your friends or your roommates copy. Yeah. When the well, time comes. But, you know, suffice it to say, if you want to have a say in the next Let's Play that we do, Go and support us over there. Of course, if you want ad-free early access to this show, you can also support us over there and exclusive podcasts, etc. Your support is essential, and we thank you so much for that. So go check out the Let's Play and definitely take in and absorb all of Chris's pain as we go through. I want to remind everyone, too, I'll continue to remind you again next week, episode 35, so two episodes from now, will be recorded a day late. It will go up on Patreon a day late. Free feeds will not be affected. This is simply due to me going to Philadelphia to see my brother. So I won't be back until Monday. We usually record on Mondays. So we'll have to record on Tuesday that week. The show will go up on Wednesday instead of Tuesday, etc. Thank you for your patience on that. I'll remind you again next week, just so you think, or don't think I should say that I'm being negligent. Chris, Donato Chiarlo or Chiarlo wrote into us. Mm-hmm. This is all he said. Colin with a question mark. Why? Question mark. And how much? Okay. Question mark. What does that mean? Is this, this is pretty cryptic. I don't know. What do you think it means? Uh, is this like a puzzle? Colin, why and how much? My answer, I suppose, to this is yes. I don't know. An extraordinary amount. That's my <laughs> it's answer. Good, and as whenever we, somebody says how much, you always, always go high. Yeah. Always highball it. An extraordinary amount. So I hope that that answers your question. And Stefan Sywick wrote into us, and I really want to hear your opinion on this, Chris, because we are both New Yorkers. Yeah. Hi, Colin and Chris. I moved to Long Island about six months ago, and I have been perplexed by something I have noticed. I have met many born and raised Long Islanders, and while some have a very distinct New York accent, so he says coffee as being coffee, dog, dog, Mm -hmm. some do not. I have been told by the ones who do not that they simply chose not to pronounce words the New York or Long Island way. Can it be that simple? Can you just choose to ignore how friends and family pronounce some words? Can you turn the accent on and off depending on who is around? I would love your thoughts on the matter. What do you make of this? Because... I've lost my New York accent. It only comes out when I'm angry or upset. Or exactly. Drunk. It comes out whenever you're you're in your primal state, I think. Right. Exactly. But it, it's funny because all of the men in my family have pretty much lost it. And some of them still live there, but all the women in my family, whether or not they live there or not, yeah. all still have it. My mom sounds I've like noticed, she, <laughs> I've noticed that, too. Yeah. My mom still has it like super strong, even yeah. though she's like upstate now. Well, get it, let's go get some coffee. 
I'm like, all right. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Whenever I'm in a city, I'm just existing in the city and I'm walking around and like dealing with people. Mm. I noticed this when I went to PAX West when I was in Seattle and some dude haunted me even though I had the light and I just like went off and I had the accent and everything. I was like, what the hell was that? And all my friends were like, what, what was that about? I was like, I don't know. It, happens. it just happens. So that's why I want to say I knew you would understand because... It's an accent that is quite endearing to me. It's not, a lot of people in my family, you know, around the dinner table, this is what they sound like. People still tell me that I still have it. I, you, I don't hear it. Really. You and I, I mean, especially you, I think, but I think you and I both have a fast cadence and a almost sardonic way about us Maybe. that I think is very New York. And that rubs some people the wrong way and also just surprises people. Like people tell me that I talk really fast, which I'm sure I do, but... That's how I've always talked. Yeah. And that's how everyone around me has talked. Do you walk really fast too? Yes. Yeah, I am go. never, Chris, I am never, ever the slowest person on a sidewalk. <laughs> There's never anyone passing me on a sidewalk if I'm walking at my at my normal, let's call it a normal gait, like I'm a horse. <laughs> right. But when I go home, as I'm sure you know, when I go home, I feel right at home and I feel good about things. And yeah, no, exactly. my passive aggressive comments to people are often answered as opposed to ignored, like when I hold a door open for someone. <laughs> And I passive aggressively say thank you in California. No one ever says anything, but like there's, I think I've told this story, but this guy in this train when I was going into New York once, I, was, I don't know if I was where, where, what I was doing. I was going to Barclays Center or something and I got off the train and, and there was this guy sitting next to me on the other side. So I got out and I did this like, you know, oh, you can go first. And he just walked ahead of me and I'm like, oh, you're welcome. Now in California and in other places, 99 out of 100 times, nothing comes of that. The old man turns around. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's good to be home. I've been getting I've, like, I've been in the minor leagues for a while and now I'm back in the majors. Oh, gee, thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I miss New York a great deal. Now, Chris, we have something serious to talk about. I want to preface it with a letter we got. And again, you guys can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas on Patreon like Melissa Maxwell did. Mm -hmm. You and I haven't even talked about this since we've seen each other. So no. I want to talk this out and I want to see where we go okay. from here, because I think that this is an important issue. And I know that most of the audience that already knows about it is with us and understands this. But we have to get this out into the open because I think it's important that it determine what kind of podcast we're going to be sure. and what kind of content we're going to create. Right. Yeah. OK. Melissa Maxwell wrote in and said, hey, guys, in light of your issues getting early access to Metro Exodus, I was wondering if you could maybe shed some light on something that has been bothering me for a while. When I see things like CLS not getting early access to a game over petty politics or because some dude doesn't like Colin, it really astounds me. Why is the video game industry specifically on the journalistic PR social media aspect of it so petty and childish? And how frustrating is it for you trying to make a living and having to deal with this? If I denied service to a client because they believe differently than I did, I would be fired immediately. I understand that CLS isn't a client of these companies, but the lack of professionalism is unbelievable. Not only that, it seems to be encouraged by those in the social media space. For an industry that seems to pride itself on being so progressive, they sure come across as intolerant. And it only appears to be getting worse. It makes me want to avoid all aspects of the industry other than just playing games, which is a shame. On a happier note, Colin, you must be stoked about the Isles. As a Flames fanatic myself, it sure feels good to be a fan of a good team this year. Keep up the great work, guys. Just as a note on the Islanders, Melissa, real quick, I cannot believe... What's going on with the Islanders right now? Ooh, yeah, me neither, dude. Whoa. Now, as you know, Chris, as the audience knows, I'm a huge Islanders fan. I'm a huge hockey fan. Played it most of my life. Right. I was a goalie. No, I can't play anymore. I'm too fat and old. And my knees and my legs and... I don't even get started it, on the knees. Yeah. And I've seen the Islanders in the playoffs. I've been to playoff games and stuff. They're in first place this deep in the season, I think, for the first time since 1988. So it's a very exciting time if you're an Islanders fan. And no, there is no room on the bandwagon. I know all of you have been making fun of the Islanders all these years. Go fuck off. <laughs> 
Okay. Now back to what Melissa was saying, Chris. Some people are, or many people are certainly confused about this. Yeah. I want to kind of lay it out for people and then we'll go from there. About five weeks ago or so, I reached out to a friend of mine in games media to ask them who I should talk to about Metro Exodus because the person I knew at Deep Silver, the publisher for a while is no longer there. I don't really know who to talk to. Deep Silver's website is completely devoid of media contacts, which is somewhat unusual. Usually you can go to like an EA website or whatever and get like a general media thing and just click on it, hope for the best. So he gave me the name of a person who I know doesn't like me, but is the person that I have to work with. And the reason I know that this person doesn't like me is because this person has openly talked shit about me on social media, even though this person and I have dealt very kindly with each other in the past for years on, on various games including and up to a point where this person basically shamed another person of of renown in the industry to delete a tweet that this person wrote in support of me. Right. At a time when I really needed it. I don't want to get any deeper into the details of of what was said and what was done because I really don't think it's important who this person is and I don't want this person's name or anything to be out there. I don't think it's necessarily relevant to the story. Right, right. So I emailed this person of, uh, and I published all the emails on Twitter. You guys can see them. I, I emailed this person three different times. Professional emails like I always send. Hello. I hope you're doing well. My name is Colin Moriarty. I know you know who I am probably, but this is who I am in case you know. This is what I do now. Here are the links to my pertinent information. I'm a Metro fan. I'd like access to Metro Exodus. No answer. I'm like, okay. I go back two weeks later, email again, just follow up politely. No answer. I email again last week, politely. No answer. Finally, I go to Deep Silver's website and there's just a general info email. So I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to answer this, but I'm desperate, right? Because we've been playing Metro 2033 and Metro Last Light. My expectation was that we were going to cap it with Metro Exodus content and whatever. So I email and I get an actually in a response back from an internal PR person. And this person tells me, you know, and again, I don't want to go into the details of the of the conversation per se, but this person basically tells me like codes are tight. There, we're having a hard time giving them out. Can't make any promises or whatever. Something like that, right? I'm okay. like, okay, I accept that. And, and, you know, I thank him for answering me. Yeah, that's at least a response. Right. At like the very least. Right. But then I start to kind of feel around and talk to one person specifically that has the game and realize that this is nonsense, actually. That the person who doesn't like me, who's leading up the PR charge at an agency, by the way, not internally at Deep Silver. So... For people that don't know, agency PR in video games means that big companies or small companies hire external PR to deal with either games entirely or smaller games or smaller outlets. Right. So, so it's it, not Deep Silver like coming at you with like some kind of crazy. Exactly. So just as an example, even Sony employs external PR sometimes. As an example, if they when they used to have PSN games that they used to do like a lot, the internal PR people would worry about the first party games. They would have all these other people dealing with like them. And when I deal with publishers now, I usually deal with agencies because I'm not big enough and we're not, you know, we're not IGN or whatever. They, they don't really, they, they use their big guns for their big guns, which is fine. So this person emails me back and I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like others have denied me games. I am not owed anything. I mean, we, I, I don't want to even be redundant. We've said this ad nauseum. No oh, one sure. owes us anything. If no one wants to work with us, that's perfectly fine. But all I want is someone to be an adult, right, in the situation and be like, listen, we don't want to work with you or we have X, Y, or Z problem with you or whatever, instead of just ignoring me. It is completely rude and it is unprofessional and I didn't do anything to deserve it. People have been conflating some of this being like, I think I deserve games or that I deserve access. And I'm like, no, I've clearly said that a million times. I said it in an email, said it on Twitter, said it on the show. No one deserves to give us any, we don't deserve anything. But where is the professionalism? 
And where are we going to draw the line where it seems fairly clear that someone with a podcast of 50,000 listeners is not getting access to a game that they're interested in and ask for? Now, again, you don't have to give it to us, but why wouldn't you just tell me that? Yeah. Instead of letting me email into a void <laughs> over and over and over again and then have someone el- or someone else tell me something that's clearly not true. And the reason I know that's not true is because a friend of mine and I don't mean this, by the way, as any disrespect to small outlets, up and coming outlets. But when I found out that YouTube channels with like a YouTube channel with 500 subscribers has the game and is going to review the game. So instead of just telling me the truth, it, it seemed fine. I'm like, fine, I'm not owed anything. But when I saw that and did the math and put the calculus together, I'm like, listen, it's clear from my perspective what's happening here. And the reason that I wanted to bring it up to the audience is to kind of have a conversation around it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about like victimization or being owed anything. It's about what kind of show we want to be and how much we want to kind of respect the audience. And for me, I want to respect the audience in totality. And the way we do that, of course, is by trying to be informative and entertaining and gain access. And being transparent. Exactly. Which I think this is, right? So I wanted to talk about it on the show to let people know that, you know, we don't have access to Metro Exodus. Deep Silver is seemingly not the first publisher that doesn't want to work with us. We've talked extensively about Ubisoft not wanting to work with us, which is fine. They just straight up ignore us, too. But I just want to throw a plea out there because I know that industry professionals and PR people and others listen to this show. It takes 10 seconds of your day to email someone back if you don't want to work with them and to just let them know that. Yeah, I, th- oh. I, I think I think I would just go ahead and say just like nobody's necessarily owed respect, but I, I think everybody's owed common courtesy. Just give us the common courtesy of just being like, OK, we'll respond to this email and right. being like, no. You just know (laughs) because it's just me and it's just you. Right. And it's really at the end of the day, just me in terms of planning the show. It could be my fault because I'm planning Metro. I'm I'm like, surely we'll get Metro last light. Why? Why wouldn't we? I I didn't do anything to anyone. I haven't done anything to anybody. I haven't said anything to anyone. I've never disrespected anyone. Never broken an embargo in 17 years. Always write polite emails. Always treat people with respect. It's all based on this game of telephone that's been going on about me for so long that it's become the truth for a lot of people. And by the way, I supplement this knowledge knowing a few things. Number one, a good friend of mine a few years ago told me a story about how this person that worked at Sony PR that doesn't work there anymore was breathlessly talking about how much this person hated me. And my friend just let this person just let her go on and on and on. And then at the end, I was like, by the way, it's like one of my very good friends, you know, and I knew that that person hated me and still dealt for the time afterwards with complete respect with that person. Right. Right. And a friend more recently at a big publisher when I was trying to get games reached out to me on the side. It's he's not in PR. But he basically told me, like, you're having problems because of the perception of you and that, you know, this kind of unfair perception of you. So with all of those kinds of things in mind, you know, when you reach this level where you're just sending polite emails out to people, you're just dealing with the quorum, you're dealing with industry norms, you're an industry veteran of 17 years, you just respect the common courtesy back to just say, like, no or yes. And anyone that defends like anything other than that status quo wants an unprofessional, biased, political games media and PR apparatus that gatekeeps access for people. So again, we have no right to any game early at all. But I do think that we, on behalf of our listenership, which I and you, Chris, care a great deal about, deserve to be treated professionally and fairly. And we are not always treated professionally and fairly, you know? Absolutely. And that's why I'm upset about the situation. I couldn't give a fuck less about playing Metro Exodus early. I'll play it when it comes out. It's fine. I'm playing. I'm literally playing Bioshock right now. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fair. It's valid. So with all of that put out there, Chris, in kind of context, given, does all that make sense, by the way, what I've said so yeah. far? Do you think so? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Do you have anything to add before I continue? I think, yeah, I think you said pretty much everything that I could have possibly iterated on. The question we have to go forth here now is this. Mm-hmm. Knowing that 
games media and PR is incestuous and that I certainly have done myself no favors by complaining publicly about this situation, which mm. is fine. I know that I'm not dumb. I knew that th like that, that would be a problem. That said, overwhelming support by the people that actually matter, which are the listeners of the show yeah, and the consumers and the of video games. Exactly. Nonetheless, we have to ask ourselves a fundamental question about sacred symbols. I know you're not a sports fan, but I'm going to use a sports analogy that I think will make sense to some of the audience. Right. Okay. There's the ESPN vertical, right? The we play nice. We have access. We toe the line. We probably don't break some stories or, you know, say things we know because we don't want to ruffle feathers. Right. I've never really been a fan of that vertical, but we play in that field. The other vertical is barstool sports. Now, Barstool Sports is uh, up, up. I mean, it's been around for a while, but it's this up and coming, no access, completely over the top, inappropriate, you know, <laughs> like they don't give a fuck. Like their their CEO was literally dragged out of the Super Bowl, arrested at the Super Bowl. That happened? Yeah. <laughs> like now I don't want to be that either. Right. But there's something about being an outsider that raises the level of authenticity of a show. Yeah. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves, Chris, as we move forward is. Do we really even care about access? Like, do we really care? You know, how much of the show is predicated on it? And why are we walking around with a with a legion of 50,000 people listening to a show, engaged PlayStation fans, knowledgeable, longtime fans who play games and buy games? Why are we going around begging for access? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like being ignored and having our plans fucked up and all of these kinds of things. It happens over and over again. And I think that what's lost on a lot of people is that my frustration is bubbling over at this situation because I've been silent about so many other situations, you know, and so many other things, people in the industry that want to be on the show, but can't be on the show because PR won't give them permission to do it. You know, they yeah. say it publicly and privately, big names, names that appear on other shows. There is a bias towards this show. Oh, I'm sure. You know, and so I guess what I'm saying is, and I want feedback from the audience too, Chris, as we move forward is, do we lean into it? Like 95% of the show is talking about the news and talking about roaches and dicking around and analyzing <laughs> and being goofy and funny. It's, it's entertainment and it's yeah. informative, but it's only a few times a year that we really even need access or quote unquote need it. And my question is like, if we just started buying games when they came out, would the show really suffer? And my answer is, I don't think it would. No, I don't think so. I don't see a big deal. Okay. No skin off my nose. So I wanted to just discuss that because I feel like we need to be candid and open with the audience. No one associated with Metro Exodus is going to come out and admit, yeah, he didn't get the game because we don't like him. But you just need to connect the dots. It's just not that hard to do. And I accepted not connecting the obvious dots until I saw who was getting the game. And again, no disrespect to any of those people getting the game. I think that's great. No, it's just basic numbers. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it's just, it's just, it just don't lie to me. Yeah. Like, I want to just email a PR person that doesn't like me one day and have them email me back and say, like, we have no interest associating with you. Then you would never hear from me again. But then you're then you're left like, am I emailing the right person? Should I try someone else? Are they even messaging us? Have yeah, they forgotten this even about an me? active email? <laughs> it's like and especially with a paranoia and anxiety I deal with all, all day. I'm like, did I say something wrong? You're straining yourself. Meanwhile, I could have just moved on. And you know what the real shame is, is that all of this time I could have been worrying more about like the Anthem closed beta, you know, or right. like EA actually deals with us and treats us like human beings. Right. I could have been worrying about that instead. I could have been trying to mend bridges with Ubisoft and get Far Cry. But instead, I went down this direction and wasted my time. And it's fucking rude. I'm not owed anything, but I am owed professionalism. And I think you are, too. And this audience is not owed access, but it's also owed the respect of those in the industry, just like we give them respect in this industry. So that's all I need to say about that situation. And I hope that that makes sense to everybody. I think it was well said. Thank you. <laughs> it's like a therapy session. I know. And I'm already going to another therapy session. I know, right?
I'm feeling good today. <laughs> you're on a roll here. There's nothing else you wanted to add before we move on, Chris? I think you just like you're t- way too eloquent for me to add anything to that. I think you said pretty much everything that I could have possibly said. But you agree? I do agree. Yeah. Okay. I suggest we lean into it. Fair enough. Chris, let's talk about what we're playing. I'd love to hear more about Apex Legends. Now, we're going to talk about Apex Legends in the news a little bit, but we'll s- that's different about how the game's performing. But we were made fun of regularly for the last episode because of the nature of when it was recorded. Apex Legends was just announced I don't, or, and just had launched, I think. Yeah. So we hadn't played it yet. But anyway, what do you think of it? I somehow like it. I didn't think I would. <laughs> I think even in the last podcast, I was pretty skeptical of it. It's just really enjoyable. Like the gunplay's super tight. The abilities are actually like really fun. There's a lot of team play involved. There's a pinging system that allows you to like kind of place markers on the map and be like, there's an enemy over there. There's something worth looting over here without actually talking to anybody, which is pretty great because I can't do it. I can't talk to randoms. Right. No. Um, no. It's not Titanfall like I would have hoped. But I can't really fault a game for what it isn't, especially when it's not called Titanfall Battle Royale or whatever. It is its own thing. It's Apex. It's in Titanfall's universe or whatever, but it's really kind of its own thing. But it's probably the first Battle Royale game that I've played that I've actually clicked with. I I understand it and I'm having fun. The content's sparse, obviously, but it's a free to play game. There's really not much you can do about that. It's solid. I recommend checking it out, especially because it's free. Like you got nothing to lose, really. Yeah, I was going to, I have two questions for you. First, talk to me about the dissonance between Titanfall as a universe in this game, because it seems to me that this could have been anything else. I I don't really understand spinning it out as a Titanfall kind of a companion when there's nothing in it that calls of the hallmarks of Titanfall, whether it's the mechs, the Titans, or like, you can't wall run in the game, right? And stuff like doing great. So like, I'm just confused by that. There are some mechanics lifted over to certain classes. I I should explain what the game is a little bit more. It's, It's a battle royale game with the general like formula or format of a battle royale game, but there's like kind of Overwatch components where it's also kind of a hero shooter. So there are classes with like ultimates. So it's a really like weird mix, but like some classes in the game have elements of what the base Titanfall 2 gameplay has. Like, there's a class with a grappling hook, which is fantastic. There are connections to Titanfall, and the, the aesthetic of it, overall art style. There's characters that are designed based off of some of the robots that are just kind of random AI in, in Titanfall and in Titanfall 2. I, I'm not entirely sure why they linked the name, especially when the name's not even really in the actual name of the game. It really could have been anything. I'm happy that it's Titanfall because ultimately it just means that there's a little bit more Titanfall and that supposedly there is a lot of lore in there that I haven't looked into at all because it's... I don't got time for that. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> but no. I, I like it a lot. I'm glad to hear that. I like it a lot. I'm I glad to why. hear that. The other question I have for you, Chris, is how intrusive or not intrusive are the microtransactions? Because as a free-to-play game, obviously everyone's going to be focused on this. And this, of course, is also going to be essential to whether this game is successful or not. We'll talk about that in a little while, but I don't care how many people are playing it. It's about how they're converting. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about, like, how intrusive that is. Have you spent any money or anything like that? I've not spent any money. It, It seems to be mostly cosmetic. There are, I believe, two classes or two characters that are locked behind some kind of paywall that I think you can grind to unlock or you can pay for. As far as I've seen, one of them seems to be a little bit overpowered based on the description of it, but I haven't run into anybody using that character who's been particularly tough to deal with it. It hasn't felt like a pay to win situation at all. It feels very manageable. I think the prices are a bit extreme, but it's ultimately cosmetic. So it's stuff that you can grind and unlock anyway. So I don't really feel, I, I have not felt compelled at all to spend money. Interesting. Well, I'm really super happy that people are are enjoying the game and taking to it. And the thing that I'm most interested in, and I think it's similar to what you said, is I'm seeing a lot of feedback. It's anecdotal, of course, but I'm seeing feedback that 
battle royale games or gamers that don't like battle royale games, I should say, this seems to be a battle royale game for them. Yeah. Why, it, why is that? I mean, what's different about it? I don't it, know. But- there's Games are weird because it, it, there's a lot of little things. I feel like there's a, not a lot of conversation about the multitude of little things that add up to give a game its identity. Like if you take Crash Bandicoot's death animations out of the game, you, that, that's like one third of that game's charm completely removed. And that's probably like a huge amount of appeal just gone from that game, just from the way he dies alone. So it's it's hard to pinpoint what exactly it is that is so appealing to people like me who don't like Fortnite, who didn't really care that much about Blackout, who despise PUBG. You know, I I can't point out a specific thing. I think there's a a big thing is the pinging system, the ability to just kind of communicate without necessarily having to verbally communicate how easy it is to just be like, this is where we're going. There's a big co-op focus in it, which I think is that you can't play solo. There's no solo available, which uh, if you're unfamiliar with Battle Royale terms, like Battle Royale, it's like you can go in uh, with two people, with a squad of three or four, or you can go by yourself. You can't go by yourself in Apex. You have to be with two other people, and sometimes that's random people. Whereas in a normal Battle Royale game, if you're matched with like random people, it's going to be a nightmare. Because you can't communicate, there's no tools in the game that allow you to do it well. I really do think that that pinging system is, is something interesting. And I think just the hero shooter elements too. Just the fact that it feels kind of like this weird Overwatch mix, but it has that Titanfall kind of tight gunplay to it. There's a lot about it that just kind of works in its favor that I can't quite pinpoint. And it's it's wild. I really suggest checking it out. It's a surprise story, man. I think it's supremely helped by the fact that it just came out of nowhere also. If they had announced it like four months ago or however many months ago, I think people would have had time to be like, oh my God, another Battle Royale. Ugh. I can't believe there's another one. Whereas because they announced it and released it so quick, I think, you know, I feel like people's kind of skepticism like i feel like their curiosity overtook their skepticism justin rowe wrote a note on patreon about this very topic yeah he said hey colin and silly chris with apex legends announced and released on the same day with massive success do you think we have reached peak marketing in regards to generating immediate hype i can't seem to think of any strategy that could evolve from this it seems like the final iteration of the six months later strategy bethesda used and pioneered with fallout 4 it's certainly interesting i will say that it is massively risky And I'm not talking about risky from a critical reception. I think people know that it's commercially really risky because if you're not even drawing pre-order numbers, like we make fun. This is a free to play game, so it doesn't matter. But we make fun of pre-orders, for instance, and we should. But they actually use those as gauges based on, you know, historical data and how well they're they're doing there. And they can they can kind of expect things. If you just launch a game one day, you have no idea what's going to happen. And. Without the necessary and requisite hype, I think that actually, as far as this is peak marketing, and I think it is, I think this would actually kill 9 out of 10 games. And I think that on any given day, Apex Legends could have been killed as well, depending on when it came out. I think the name is actually terrible. Yeah, it's (laughs) awful. Apex Legends is like the worst possible name they could have chosen. It's a terrible name. It's really generic sounding. It was actually probably like 50% of the reason I was like disinterested in it initially. Because I was like, what is this? It sounds like a free, it's, well, I was going to say it sounds like a free-to-play, which it, which it is, but it sounds like almost like a mobile free-to-play, you know what yeah, I mean? It's like, like Re- Apex Legends. Battle Royale, or what is it, Realm, Realm, Realm Royale. Royale yeah, and, yeah, it's just like, what is this? But it's great, and it doesn't feel like a free-to-play. I'm stoked, man. I mean, I'm always happy when people find a new game that they dig, but I am, and we'll save it for the news item, but I, I do question the wisdom of this game, and I, I think that to know whether this game is going to be a net positive for EA overall and long term. We don't have all the necessary data yet, but we'll save that for just a few moments. I think that it's looking good. It says here in our notes, Chris, you also played more Resident Evil 2. Are you? Yeah, I've been doing it on stream. I've been doing it on Twitch okay, because awesome. I've been I've been doing this new gameplay thing on my on this secondary channel that I have, the Snark Tank, where I've been kind of like playing the game for like an hour or two hours at a time and editing down like the highlights and including some of the Twitch chat into the video. I think it's kind of like a fun way to do like a let's play. 
Uh, so I've been going through it with the chat, and the chat has been helping me. I realize now that I can't really do horror games all that well. Are you scared? Or, or There's or, something about it, man. That game specifically, the sound design of that game is so good. And I'm wearing like head, these like ridiculous headphones, and I'm like, here, Mr. X is, is coming in now. And I'm like, I don't know how to deal That's with this. That's the guy that walks around? Yeah, the, the, yeah. It's weird, man, because I don't know that they're necessarily nightmares, but I have dreams. I had a dream a few days ago that somehow melded Resident Evil 2 with some sort of Castlevania lore. I think it's because I'm re I was reading Bram Stoker's Dracula recently, as I was saying on another episode. Right. And so I had this dream that I was like in a castle where Dracula was slowly, like just almost too slowly <laughs> just walking, walking around. around trying to find me. What is with the trope in horror of like the slow, inexorably moving Michael Myers or Jason? Like they don't speed yeah, up really. Yeah. It's the fact that you can't rest. Yeah. It's the fact that you can't. There's no moment where you can just be like, ah, I'm good. I'm yeah. safe. It's just always constantly moving. And I apparently I saw this. Uh, there's a great series on YouTube. I don't know who. Forgive me. I, I forget the name specifically. But they kind of like break through the boundaries of games and just so you could see like what the what the level looks like. Oh from yeah, outside yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I think it's super... called Boundary Break or something. Yeah, so, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and Very apparently in Resident Evil Two, like Mr. X spatially exists like constantly throughout the game, even when other areas of the game aren't loaded. So like he's actually like for real as an actual entity walking around, which is so much more disturbing to me it's than just like, a, a you know, oh, you've walked past here and now he's going to like, you know, that's so much worse. It is disturbing, like hearing his footsteps, like it definitely did create a sense of real horror for me because I would like you hear him. You're trying to get shit done before he arrives. Yeah, but I'm still going through that game. I'm taking it slow because I know that it's kind of a, a shorter experience and I want to kind of get the most out of it. But man, that is what a solid game. That it's is. excellent. It's fantastic. Excellent. Yeah, it's excellent. I still haven't beaten it. I actually moved on to other things, but I'll go back to it eventually. But I love it. I was very impressed. The uh, games I'm playing, Chris, I, I finally beat and platinumed. Well, I beat it twice, but I platinumed Metro Last Light Redux on PlayStation 4 in anticipation of playing Metro Exodus, which we'll play hopefully by the end of the week when it comes out. You know, I think it's a better game than Metro 2033. I still think it's got that kind of shooter slash walking simulator thing going. But there's something very intriguing and very interesting just about the setting and the Russian nature of the story. And remember, we talked a few weeks ago or maybe even a couple months ago now about how the author of the movie or the author of the books that the games are based on was optioned to do a movie. And he basically shut it down because they wanted to make the movie based in the United States. And I'm like, that is the entire yeah, yeah. cool part of Metro is that it's not American. It's Russian. And what I would love, I think it's probably an option, but I didn't look is I would love for it would be cool in Metro Exodus. If it's an option, I'll do this is to have the game played in Russian and just use English subtitles, because I think that that would be even neater. We just don't get to play many games over there, you know, yeah. like from over there. So I am enjoying that or was enjoying that. And then last night I moved on to Bioshock, the original Bioshock. I was just bored. Right. So you restarted it? Yeah, I've beaten it twice already in my life fully. I platinumed it on PlayStation 3 and... It's just, well, Dagan and I are doing an episode of Knockback on Bioshock in a couple of weeks, and I wanted to refresh myself, but I think I'm just going to sit and platinum the whole thing again on PS4. That game, I'm only like a couple hours and I'm still in like the medical pavilion, but that game, Chris, and I, I know you know this, but that game's like perfect. Like, I, I don't know <laughs> how else to put it. If you guys out there have not, for some reason, played Bioshock, it's really one of the great games ever made. Yeah, no, 100%. Still feels great. Still looks great. Still sounds great. The voice acting sounds awesome. Like, I was really paying attention to different things when I was playing it yesterday. Like, you know, Atlas's voice acting and writing is excellent. The yeah. splicers are truly unsettling. The constant ambient voice acting and things that are going on completely around, like the splicers fight each other and shit. 
I, I went into this back room. I never noticed this. There's really cool touches because the game is about obviously a dystopian libertarian paradise. There's this really awesome thing where there's this store and then in the back room, there's a bloodied body that's already there in a fetal position with a cash register. And I never noticed it before. And yeah. what it says is before the Civil War broke out in Rapture, this guy wanted his money, literally took his money and like cradled it. It says everything about what the game's about. And I think it's just so special. And right. I'm so excited to play it again. Yeah, no, that game is so fantastically done. Bioshock's one of my favorite games ever. I think as a game... As a narrative anyway, I think towards the end it kind of does drag a little bit. It's almost like a Red Dead situation where it almost doesn't matter because the rest of it is so expertly crafted and so well done. There's so many things that I remember from that game that just like stick out to like when, when you're approaching the woman singing to the gun in the in the in, in the, the carriage. Cra- in the yeah. carriage. Or just like with uh, the shadow, with the light. Yeah, with the shadows, shadow. it's like so perfect. There's a, there was a moment in Resident Evil Two that was kind of like that. Actually, there's a, there's a room with like where there's like a shadow of like a. It turns out to be like just like some bobblehead or whatever on a wall. It's like what the hell? Ah, oh my god. Yeah, I could talk for ages about Bioshock, honestly. Yeah, it's a game that it's a great I, game. I think it's a must play. And, you know, I didn't play through and beat Infinite until about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, and then played the DLC for Infinite, which wraps all the way back to the original Bioshock. And so, like, the whole arc is wonderful. And I think even Bioshock 2, which is kind of the bastard child of the series, I still think that's a great game, too. I think people should play them all. You can buy them with the Bioshock collection on PS4 for whatever, whatever it costs. It's probably not enough. Is basically what I'm saying. You could probably very gladly pay it more is, than whatever it costs. It is very good. Do you know, I, I uh, when I first played Bioshock, I had to turn it off immediately. Because I think I played it in 2000. I played the demo in 07, I believe. I believe that's when the demo was out. And I was... 13? It's pretty young, yeah. And I remember there's a scene where you come down in the elevator and then the, the splicer's like banging on the elevator. It's like, nope. I'm done. I'm putting this down. I picked it up like four years later. Four yeah, it's one late. of the first shots. The splicer like kills a guy in front of you and then jumps on the. It's so de- genuinely machine. unsettling. Like I can go through it now. No problem. Just because I've played it so many times. But that video in the beginning is so awesome. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington. It's That's so, so fantastic. It's so it's so I don't know. I, I just think that they've created something so special. There's no more anticipated game coming up than what Ken Levine is doing next for me. Chris, let's get into the news. Let's do it. There's a lot to get through, but I I think we can get through this somewhat quickly. Number one, it appears massive layoffs are coming to publisher Activision Blizzard and confirmation of those layoffs along with specific details may emerge by the time this podcast goes live. Word comes by way of Bloomberg, which notes that hundreds of layoffs are incoming, possibly on Tuesday, the day this episode publishes. Bloomberg notes that Activision's current headcount is just below 10,000 employees worldwide. It's unknown who will be cut, but chances are Blizzard itself will be a target, and it stands to reason that the large team in Activision responsible for liaising with Bungie and dealing with Destiny will also be considered redundant now that Bungie and its Destiny IP are gone. So the theories here, Chris, and again, I'm sorry, just by the nature of this, we just will not be able to talk about this in real time. We'll talk about it next week. It seems like they'll be affected. I don't really want to conjecture much more about it because we don't know. Yeah. We definitely preemptively want to wish everyone the very best as they're affected. And hopefully the people that are affected at Activision specifically that worked on Destiny might be able to find a place at Bungie. Brent Lindquist wrote into us on Patreon like all of you can and said, hey, fellas, hope all is well. I'm writing in regarding the supposed Activision Blizzard layoffs that could happen as soon as early next week. And I'd like your take on them. Are the lower sales due to a saturated market? Are projections too astronomical? Are the company's franchises somehow waning in popularity despite seemingly robust sales? And what does this mean for the publisher's future? As always, thanks for the podcast. Well, Brent, and I don't know how you feel about this, Chris, but I think it's just it's just too soon to say because we don't have all of the details yet. But it seems like based on anecdotal evidence, you know, they cut out Heroes of the Storm at Blizzard, for instance. Yeah. It seems like that's conceivably a team that's going to get let go. 
why they did that, it seems like it wasn't profitable enough. It seems like they want more and more money. And whether or not you agree or disagree with that, we can have conversations about that. But that's clearly what Activision, a publicly traded company with shareholders and a board, that's what they want. So regrettably, it's a human game, you know, but we just I, I don't think we have enough information. Yeah, to know exactly why it's hard to tell exactly what it is, but I'd imagine it's probably a combination of everything you you asked about. I'd imagine it probably does have a lot to do with the saturated market. I'd imagine it probably does have a lot to do with projections being ridiculous and expectations being absurd. You know, it's just conjecture from here on out at that at this point. Yeah, we'll have more to say on it next week for sure. Yeah. Again, sorry, because we recorded on Monday. These layoffs, hopefully they don't happen at all. Hopefully Bloomberg is wrong. But presuming they do happen, we'll have more to say about it next week. And hopefully they'll have a statement and maybe some financial information. Speaking of which, Joe Frantic wrote into us. And by the way, it's not Frantic like, you know, you're Frantic. It's with a K making you think that this is his real last name. He says, hey, Colin and Silly Chris, over the last few weeks, earning results have come in for video game makers and longstanding problems reared its head again. The gaming industry, with a few notable exceptions, has zero understanding of how financial reporting works. And I dare even say this extends for many, not you, to just fundamental realities of business. Now, this may sound harsh, but there's a part of me that thinks this isn't harsh enough. The gaming industry is massive, and I think this lack of knowledge and horrible takes they attempt to make anyway need to be addressed. What if anything can be done, or should I just give up hope of anything changing? Listen, I've been in the trenches myself writing news at major websites, and you have to learn. When I was 22 or 23 years old, starting at IGN full time, I didn't own stock. I had no fucking idea what any of this meant. Yeah. I didn't know how finances worked, how quarterly finances worked, fiscal years, conversion rates and write-offs and write-downs and all. The, it's a lot. And the old joke goes that no one understands the economy, right? That's the old joke that no one actually understands it. Like even at the Fed, even at the IMF, <laughs> yeah. like no one actually gets how it works. It just does. But I do agree that when I read stories on this, like it's just a lot of people really don't know what they're talking about. They basically regurgitate what is said on conference calls or in financial reports, but are not able to uh, interpret it for the audience. I've certainly noticed that. So that's why we don't want to talk about the layoffs, because we are just conjecturing. But I agree. There's a financial illiteracy in the way games are covered. There's a financial illiteracy in in, in general, to be quite honest. Like, I remember going to school and taking an economics course that taught me nothing. I have no idea what any of that is. Kind of still. Like, kind of still. I'm like, what is that? What is it? Stocks? (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I get it, kind of. But, like, really, it's just like, ah. Uh. We would have been much better off in high school, specifically being taught, how, like, per, like a personal finance class. I uh, think would have yes. been a lot more useful to someone, like, how to pay taxes and all that. Or just had a, had a budget. Yeah, budgeting basic and all that. things. But I had to learn all this stuff. Chris has to learn all this stuff as we go along. So I just think it's it, the onus is on the people writing about these things and covering them. And I've been woefully unimpressed for a very long period of time now on the way these things are covered. Yeah, but those people are just like everybody else. They're just like bullshitting. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So you, I always suggest, you know, these financial results, because these most of these companies are public, these financial results can be downloaded online. You can read them yourselves and try to learn and, and get through them. Some of them are a little complicated depending on where they are because some of them will be in like Japanese or whatever, but you can dick around with them. So yeah, our very best goes out to everyone that seems to have been or will be affected by this and we will discuss it in more detail. Next yeah, definitely. Week. Number two, Respawn surprise launch of Apex Legends last week has been a resounding success. The Titanfall spinoff free-to-play battle royale game attracted 2.5 million players across platforms in its first day, with 600,000 concurrent players at max in the first 24 hours. By day three, 10 million players had tried Respawn's game, reaching at max 1 million concurrent players. The game has been very well received, though it's where the numbers will settle, particularly once the sheen wears off, that will matter most, and as a free-to-play game, it's most relevant if it's making money on microtransactions. Respawn and EA have noted that Titanfall 3 isn't in development, though they sh- there should be more Titanfall later this year. 
It's uh, they said something like we, we'll have a new twist on Titanfall later. I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, Vin, it, Vince said, said something about it. We'll right. be working on some more Titanfall later this year. It's unclear what Respawn and EA are referring to when they say that. My theory, although I don't know if it's possible, is this, by the way, on this. Titanfall came out in 2014. Mm-hmm. Right on Xbox One and Xbox 360. My theory is that there might have been a five year publishing deal for the original Titanfall on Xbox and that it will migrate to PlayStation and maybe some sort of Redux edition on Xbox or whatever that maybe that's what they're talking about. And maybe it'll be some sort yeah. of collection or some sort of what, like cop- the original game. Yeah, the original game was never released on PlayStation, for instance. You don't need the original game. Uh, <laughs> Titanfall 2 is way better. There's no story in, t- in Titanfall 1. There's no campaign. Just multiplayer. Right. So I'm wondering better in two anyway. So yeah, that's true. But I'm just wondering like if that's the case, like maybe because if it's not Titanfall three, what what are they talking about? What are they talking? Is it DLC? Yeah, I I, it could be just more Apex Legends stuff, honestly, because Apex Legends is technically Titanfall, right? Is it a Titanfall game if it's not called Titanfall? I don't know. We're in a weird place. Yeah, it is not called Titanfall colon Apex Legends. So or the Apex Legends of Titanfall or something. Yeah. I personally yeah. don't get it at all. It's pretty confusing. It's a good game, though. Marcus Brown wrote into us on uh, Patreon, though, and said, Hey, Colin and Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it says wait for response in parentheses here, so. <laughs> with the out-of-nowhere out success of Apex Legends, do you think this will be the title to end the reign of Fortnite? Seeing the millions of players it's grown and it being number one on Twitch streams the last couple of days, or do you think it will still be okay when Anth- until Anthem and the Division 2 comes? You guys are the best, and Chris, your recent videos are awesome and can't wait for more. Oh, thank you. This is an interesting question. This is my problem with Apex Legends. The numbers are impressive. This isn't the first time there's been a massive, instantaneous, free success. The long tail of the game will be determined by if people are paying for things in the game. If not, right. this is a money-losing operation. And in fact, the more people that play it and the fewer people that buy anything, it will actually cost EA more money. Um, yeah, to run the servers. Yeah. And like, yeah. So I am impressed by these numbers and I'm thrilled that people like it. But the stickiness of the game has yet to be determined because it is not yet been exposed to the truly competitive market. The best way we can garner data, I think, and I don't think we can do this because we don't have access to it, Chris, is how did these numbers cut into PUBG and especially Fortnite? In other words, if you were at Epic and you saw cumulative player numbers on a screen somewhere in the office, did you see an upside down pyramid on your graph when this game launched? If you did, then there's something to be said about it. If it's attracting new players, that's even better. But my whole thing is, is that EA seems to be competing with itself again. This is yeah, very the weird. release of it so close to Anthem in particular is really confusing to me. And Battlefield Five's Battle Royale yeah, mode, exactly, which is in due in March, right? Yeah. I believe. I, if I were at Dice, I'd be like, "Are you fucking kidding? This is like exactly what I'm talking about. This is exact. This is exactly what they did to Titanfall too with Dice's game." Well, look at that. So Carl, now, like huh? the shoes on the other look foot. At that, I guess. Look at that, huh? Good. It's very weird. Oh, That's it, the weird part of it for me. It is definitely like the, one of the strangest things that I've seen. I totally forgot, by the way, about, uh, what is it, Firestorm? Yeah, something is, like, uh, yeah, something it's, like it's, that. It's Firestorm, which is Battlefield Five's Battle Royale, which was inexplicably delayed <laughs> months after the game came out. I just don't understand what I wonder the if they're strategy gonna make, is. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder, are they going to make Battlefield's Battle Royale free to play? Why would I, It's so weird. This whole situation is so bizarre, especially because... <laughs> Especially because it's a Titanfall game out of nowhere. That's what's so weird about it. I just don't get it. Three very similar EA published products are being launched within weeks of each other. Well, in fairness, Anthem supposedly apparently doesn't have a PvP mode. 
Okay. So maybe they're like, ah, here's a PV, here's your free PVP fix. Sure. So yeah, based on genre verticals, I guess it can be explained away. I mean, but based on barely. time spent and money spent, I mean, not that Apex Legends cost money necessarily, but it's just it's a weird move. I, I cannot for the I don't understand it. This is exactly what I'm talking about, where maybe, you know, certainly actually my own financial understandings and understandings of strategy are certainly lacking if I don't get this. But I don't think I'm the only one that doesn't get this. If I were them, it would be like Sony being like, we're releasing Days Gone, The Last of Us Part Two and Ghost of Tsushima in three months apart from each other. One, yeah. one, one. And then we're not going to have anything for a long time. It's like, why would you do that? You want to give all of your games room to breathe. If anything, you would think that they would just drop Respawn's game, just kept it quiet forever, and then just randomly like at E3 was like, here you go. It's, it's ready to go. That gives Anthem three months to breathe. That gives Battlefield time to find its audience. And then actually the least important product, which is the one no one's paying for, therefore comes in last. You know, it's just very strange. It is a very strange uh, list of priorities for sure. Yeah, I don't get it. But if it works out for them, that's great. We'll see. You know, again, these cumulative player numbers are very impressive, but yeah. it's the money's made that will, you know, make or break this <laughs> this yeah. game. And also to answer the question here, like, will it cut into Fortnite at all? I'm sure it probably will, but I think the big thing about it is I, th I really do think it's attracting a different kind of player base, which is good. Fantastic for them. I think so. Well, I hope so, too. Yeah. The more people playing games, the better, of course. The more people play Respawn. Respawn's a fantastic developer, and they deserve more people playing their stuff. Titanfall 2 got really screwed. Number three. It appears that Disney is perfectly happy with Electronic Arts handling its Star Wars games. According to a report on Variety, the company's CEO, Bob Iger, noted, quote, We're good at making movies and television shows and theme parks and cruise ships and the like. We've just never managed to demonstrate much skill on the publishing side of games, ellipsis. We're obviously mindful of the size of the business. Over the years, as you know, we've tried our hand at self-publishing. We've bought companies. We've sold companies. We've bought developers. We've closed developers. And we've, fought, or we've found over the years that we haven't been particularly good at the self-publishing side. But we've been great at the licensing side, which obviously doesn't require that much allocation of capital. Since we're allocating capital in other directions, we've just decided that the best place for us to be in that space is licensing and not publishing. We've had good relationships with some of those we're licensing to, notably EA and the relationship on the Star Wars properties. And we're probably going to stay on that side of the business and put our capital elsewhere. End quote. Miles McLucas, with amazing alliteration in his name, wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris. Actually, he says, hey, Chris and Colin. Ooh. It looks like we're screwed. Bob Iger has recently stated in an earnings call that Disney has never been good at publishing games, and so they're happy with the job that EA is doing. This came across as a big shrug of the shoulders to me. According to Iger, they're too good at the movie scene, Last Jedi and Solo, LOL. I liked Solo to care. I guess that's the end of good Star Wars games, which sucks. At least we have all of the good LucasArts ones. I've recently gone back to Battlefront 2, the original one, for old time's sake. Here's hoping they can course correct somehow. Thanks for the show, guys. That was a big kick in the balls when I read that because yeah. you would think that Disney would, even if they want to retain that relationship with EA, you'd think they'd at least be like, it has to improve. Can I say something? Yeah. I kind of called this. You did. I figured because they're making so, they, they're making so much money on toy lightsabers just alone, probably. <laughs> they probably didn't even know Battlefront 2 was coming out. I genuinely wouldn't be surprised to find that out. The empire that toy lightsabers built. It's just like the, the merchandising for Star Wars is so unfathomably astronomical that, you know, you'd figure EA probably isn't even that big on their list of concerns. And I just I, I guess this kind of points it out. It just seems so lazy to me. It now, is lazy. I'm not going to question Bob. Iger. It is lazy, but they've got the money to do that. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is that they're yeah. so filthy rich that they can afford to just be like, eh, who cares? <laughs> Why not? Two Star Wars games and. Nearly 10 years. Why not? <laughs> it's worth noting that they could also be talking about initiatives with Marvel, which they also own, which has been successful, at least with Spider-Man on PS4. It looks like Marvel Ultimate Alliance on Switch is going to be a hit. So, you think are, so? 
Well, it's a Team Ninja game, and people like those games. So. I like I like those games a lot, but that it, I looks, mean, it looks questionable to me. Well, but, it looks questionable to me too, but it also looks indistinguishable to the other two games that I also thought looked questionable. So yeah, fair enough. That's that's my take <laughs> I can't on it argue anyway. With it. But I'm not going to question the business acumen of Bob Iger. Who am I to do that? But I don't know. It just seems like kind of lazy to license things out when they have to know that people are just not impressed. And even again, if you want to retain that relationship, why wouldn't you say like, we would like to see better results or something like give a bit of an olive branch to people and be like, we would yeah. really prefer to see better results. But we're we're happy with EA. We are working with them to increase output or, you know, yeah. whatever, something better than I just you know, eh, we I don't just, want to do it. I just don't think they're that in tune with, with this space really at all. Like, they're not really that in tune with video games as a medium, I don't, I don't really think. I think they're definitely more into uh, the film side. And, and you saw that based on, didn't they cancel, like, a Star Wars movie based on the reception to Solo? I'm yeah, pretty yeah, sure that I actually think, straight up happened. Yeah, I think so. Like, Solo did pretty poorly, like, critically, but nowhere near as badly as Battlefront 2 did in its own respective medium. And Solo got a movie canceled, presumably. Yeah, so it's, it's very clear where their priorities are. I would like to think that the most pressing priority for any of these companies would be with the consumer in mind, but obviously that's not the case. And I don't blame them for wanting to extract money for their shareholders and value out of everything. It's just... Star Wars deserves to be treated better than it's being treated on video on the video game front because the enormous potential of the license can only be unleashed by teams that truly get it. Unleashed. Know? Yeah, like Force Unleashed, yeah, for instance. It. But like think about the potential, and that's really disappointing. There's untold potential at a time when Star Wars is experiencing such a renaissance and actually kind of needs more positivity in it, I think, because the scene, the fandom is so divisive and hates each other. I don't know. I think we could have all rallied around a really cool Rogue Squadron game or a really cool KOTOR or something like that instead of these fucking microtransaction-laden multiplayer or like games. Some, or like some third-person kind of single-player action game where you play some kind of a bounty hunter or something. I don't know. It could have been... That sounds like a neat idea. I know. It's crazy, man. <laughs> Someone should have thought of that. Yeah. Would have been a good idea. I'm surprised nobody's uh, done anything about that. Number four. Sony has revealed the top downloaded digital games on the PlayStation Store for the month of January 2019. The top 10 most downloaded PS4 games for the month were in order. Kingdom Hearts 3, Resident Evil 2, Grand Theft Auto 5, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, Madden NFL 19, PUBG, Red Dead Redemption 2, FIFA 19, Minecraft, and Battlefield 5. The top 10 most downloaded PSVR games for the month were in order. Beat Saber, Job Simulator, PlayStation VR World, Super Hot VR, Until Dawn Rush of Blood, Farpoint, Rick and Morty Virtual Regality, Arizona Sunshine, Firewall Zero Hour, and Surgeon Simulator. PS Vita's top 10 most downloaded games for the month were in order. God of War Collection, Jack and Daxter Collection, Persona 4 Golden, Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater HD, Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty HD, Minecraft, Bastion, Jet Set Radio, Stardew Valley, and Trillion, God of Destruction. Bastion, hell yeah. Bully was the month's most popular PlayStation Classic, and Realm Royale edged out Fortnite as the month's most popular free-to-play game. Well. Isn't that interesting? Speak of the devil. We were just talking about it. I know, that's very strange. It just came, so I don't know if that's why. I'll be interested to see how it all pans out next month, but I was surprised to see that. Yeah. Number five. In a wide-ranging and exceedingly rare interview given with CNET, Sean Layden, who is the head of Sony's Worldwide Studios, talked about a lot of things, but his words on E3 and why Sony won't be there this year are perhaps most interesting. Quote, Now we have an event in February called Destination PlayStation, where we bring all retailers and third-party partners to come hear the story for the year. They're making purchasing decisions in February. June now is just too late to have a Christmas holiday discussion with retailers. So retail has really dropped off, and journalists now, with the internet and the fact that 24-7 there is games news, it's lost its impact around that. 
So the trade show became a trade show without a lot of trade activity. And with our decision to do fewer games, bigger games over longer periods of time, we had got to a point where June of 2019 was not a time for us to have a new thing to say. And we feel like if we ring the bell and people show up here in force, people have expectations. Oh, they're going to show us something or tell us something. We are progressing the conversation about how do we transform E3 to be more relevant? Can E3 transition more into a fan festival of gaming where we don't gather there to drop the new bomb? Can it just be a celebration of games and have panels where we bring game developers closer to fans? End quote. I mean, he's, he is very specific about June of 2019, talking about this year's, but he says, we are progressing the conversation about how do we transform E3 to be more relevant? This is coming from the person who is the head of Sony Studios saying E3 is not relevant anymore. Yeah. This is exactly what I've been saying for years. And Sony's absence at E3 is, is notable. And he's right. It is a trade show that has lost all you know, reality of being a trade show. And it needs to become something else now. Nothing more to say there. That CNET interview, though, is interesting. People should go read it. He talks more about studio acquisitions. He talks about the future. It's, inter it's an interesting read. You can go check it out. Number six, a ton of old school PC games are PlayStation 4 bound later this year. Skybound Games, the vertical from the Walking Dead owned company Skybound, noted that it's teaming up with a game dev called Beamdog to bring the following games to the platform. 1998's Baldur's Gate, 1999's Planescape Torment, 2000's Baldur's Gate 2, 2000's Icewind Dale, 2002's Neverwinter Nights, and 2016's Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragonspear. Whether or not they'll be released all at once, individually or in a collection, and other details are currently unknown. That's huge. That's a lot. That, those are big games. I'm going to be interested to see how they play with a controller. Oh, yeah. Huh. Or if they'll support mouse and keyboard, which would be fine. I think Baldur's Gate would probably be fine. Can't speak to the other ones. I've never played extensively and with a few of these ever, any of them. So I'm interested in trying them out when they come. Number seven, Kingdom Hearts 3, which launched a critical success and a ton of fan excitement, has also been selling huge numbers, according to publisher Square Enix. At 5 million units shipped since launch, Kingdom Hearts 3 marks the biggest launch for a Kingdom Hearts game since the franchise launched on PlayStation 2 back in 2002. Glendon Cole Simper wrote into us and said, hey, CNC double combo with fries. Your favorite Kingdom Hearts fanboy here again to let you know that Kingdom Hearts 3 was a massive disappointment <laughs> to longtime fans. The game feels rushed and incomplete and, of course, ends with a stinger for another game. It feels like it wasn't the grand ending we were all expecting. Just more fodder for another game. Just thought I'd check in and let you know. Thanks, guys. Is that true? Yeah, I want... that's what I've been hearing. My, really? my roommate, my roommate who's been waiting for it for like, I don't know, however long. Is it 13 years? Too long? It's too It just took too long. The second a game, I here's my personal view here. Any game that takes longer than five years to make, generally, before the last release of that developer is just like, that's too much. You, you've exceeded the point. It's like, the hype is done. Now begins the worry. Duke Nukem forever. What was that, 10 years? Yeah. Half-Life 3 is never coming out, <laughs> specifically because of this. There's no justification. <laughs> There's just no reason why it should have taken this long. My roommate, who was like looking forward to it, he's just so sad. I, I, I was watching him play it, and I recorded him. He was, he, he's like, I just beat it. I can't believe I waited this long for this. <laughs> That was like his first words when he finished it, which is not normally the first words you want to hear when you've beaten a game that you've been looking forward to for ages. It's very interesting because you would expect that everyone would have loved it, but I guess it wasn't I, so. I'm sure a lot of people are. Yeah, good for them. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to include that letter, though, because I had not been hearing that. I've been hearing everyone's hype about the game. So just a little bit of the other side of the story, Chris. Number eight. EA is projecting to sell between 5 and 6 million copies of Anthem in the game's first six weeks on the market, while the publisher also discussed that Battlefield 5's cumulative global sales of about 7 million, reporting that the results were disappointing in part due to their internal strategy to emphasize single player over Battle Royale. The publisher also revealed that new games in the Plants vs. Zombies and Need for Speed franchises are incoming in 2019. Push Square notes that Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare 3 leaked last year via an Amazon listing, but the nature of the new Need for Speed game is yet to be unknown. 
or is yet to be known. I just want a normal plants versus zombies game like the first one. Yeah. I loved that game, dude. I fucking loved Plants vs. Zombies. Loved it. I wouldn't have expected that. When it came to PS3, I was stoked. On Vita, it was excellent. And they released the second one, and I had it on iPad, but it was all laden with microtransactions. You couldn't just buy it. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'll just give you $20. Just leave me alone. And there's, like, no option to do that. You have to, like, grind these coins out. I just want them to go back to that strategy style. That's so much better than these. These Garden Warfare games are cute, but... Plants vs. Zombies is like really good. It's weird that they made a se- they, they, that they made Garden Warfare into like its own kind of like sub franchise. It's weird to me because the first game almost seemed like a parody. Yeah. So to make like a sequel to a parody just seems kind of off. It was like a launch, you know, generational. I think it was cross generation actually. I think so. Yeah. Like this weird. Was it 2014 something like that? Yeah, 2013, 2014. This weird shooter. It's cute, but uh, yeah, I, 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 three of them. I guess they're selling. Well enough. Number nine, Warner Brothers has revealed an all new collection of Lego games. It's called Lego Marvel Collection and will launch in one package. Lego Marvel Superheroes, Lego Marvel Superheroes 2, and Lego Marvel's Avengers, released in 2013, 2017, and 2016, respectively. You can look for the collection on PS4 in just about a month from now, on March 15th. Chris is just shrugging. I don't know. It's the Legos. <laughs> I haven't played a Lego game in the longest time. Me neither. They're, they're fine. They're all the same. Yeah. That's the problem, is that they're all the same. I really liked them like 10 years ago. But they're all the same. I like them in the PS2 era. Number 10. A new patent suggests Sony is tinkering away on a new motion controller. Word comes by way of Silicon Arrow, which reported on American patents posted earlier this month. And it's important to note that patents and trademarks always happen that companies end up not doing anything with. That said, this new controller seems to be some sort of take on the PlayStation Move that looks more like a flight stick with an analog stick up front surrounded by buttons, a strap on the handle and triggers and buttons alongside the side, too. It could be PS5's motion controller or part of it. And as Silicon Arrow points out, this is actually an update on a patent filed about two years ago, meaning Sony has been updating this precise design. You guys can go look up schematics of it. It looks like a flight stick. I don't know. what. Does it? I mean, it's a motion controller, but yeah, it looks like an old flight stick. It has like an analog stick and like buttons surrounding it huh. and like buttons on the side. It looks very robust. It sounds kind of like the uh, modern uh, VR things. I'd imagine it's probably for VR. I can't imagine what else it would be. Presumably so. Hopefully we'll hear more about that soon. Number 11, studios are beginning to push back on Sony for keeping PS4's cross-platform play capabilities walled off to certain studios. CEO of Hi-Rez Studios, Stu Chisholm, tweeted to both PlayStation and Sony that, quote, it's time to stop playing favorites and tear down the wall for everyone, end quote, noting that Hi-Rez games like Smite, Paladins, and Realm Royale are ready to go. At present, only select games from certain studios like Epic's Fortnite and Psyonix's Rocket League allow for play on PS4 with Xbox gamers in particular. We'll see if Sony is listening. Pretty interesting. They, they yeah. I was really surprised to see this. This guy, the CEO of this studio with big games coming out, publicly being like enough dude like let us in like we are ready to go it's not that hard to do we are ready to go it's just smart you just like increase your player base like by like millions yeah it's just like a no-brainer it all has to do with money and where things are being purchased and how the purchasing fees are being shared between the companies the reason sony doesn't want anyone to not play anywhere but sony is because they're getting 30 percent cut on every microtransaction so if you're playing with your friends on Nintendo and they're attracted to that platform and you know, they know they can play with others on PS4, it theoretically financially injures them. Although I think that that is, again, theoretical. Number 12, Capcom has revealed overall life-to-date numbers for some major games in its portfolio, particularly when it comes to Resident Evil. 2005's Resident Evil 4 has sold 7.4 million copies to date, while 2009's Resident Evil 5 has sold 11 million copies. Resident Evil 6, launched in 2002, or 2012 rather, has sold 8.8 million copies, while 2017's Resident Evil 7 is up to 6.1 million copies sold. Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6 are the second and third best-selling games in Capcom's history, while Resident Evil 7 slots in at five on the list. Monster Hunter World is Capcom's best-selling game ever. Really? Yeah. yeah. I think that, I, you know what? That makes sense. Yeah, I was surprised does. for like a brief moment. Then I was like, oh, okay. And then you weren't surprised anymore. Yeah. 
Number 13, speaking of Capcom, it sounds like the publisher may allow for the development of a long-awaited sequel to Dragon's Dogma. The action RPG launched all the way back in 2012. While a modified and expanded version of the game called Dark Arisen launched a year later and ultimately migrated to current-gen platforms, people are still waiting for a true sequel, and it looks like it's in the cards. According to VG247, Capcom founder Kenzo Tsujimoto told Capcom director Hidetaki Itsono that before Devil May Cry 5 entered production, he essentially had the option to do either DMC5 or Dragon's Dogma 2, and he went with DMC5. Now that DMC5 is just about done, though, it looks like Dragon's Dogma 2 could be next. Itsuno told VG247, apparently with a grin on his face, quote, Here we are. We're now finishing up on DMC5. But I had ideas for Dragon's Dogma 2 at the time as well. So here we are. It's the end of the project. End quote. Well, look at that. I know people are going to be stoked about that. There is a, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, there is a pretty loud vocal component of people that love Dragon's Dogma. Oh, no. My roommate's one of them, actually. I didn't care for it very much when I played it, but it was a long time ago. So who knows? Finally, Chris, let's do a wrap up. Alrighty. Number 14, Ubisoft revealed in 2018 that Assassin's Creed 3 would come to PS4, but now we have a release date. Look for it on March 29th. A lot of people consider that the worst Assassin's Creed game, but that was the Assassin's Creed game most attractive to me for obvious reasons. Well, yeah, it's yeah. the setting. Right, it's the so setting is awesome. It was, and it was so wasted, I thought. I know, what a waste. What a waste. It's so weird that they're remastering it. That's so confusing to me. I remember playing it and like really being like, wow, this is fucking cool. But you had to play it. Silicon Era reports that Atelier Lulua, the scion of Arland, the next in the long-running Atelier RPG series that Chris loves, will launch on PS4 on May 21st in the West End with a May 24th European-specific release date. Silicon Era also reports that Square Enix has trademarked a game title called Slashfield, following up on a, trade, a Japanese trademark of the same name made by the publisher last year. We don't know what the nature of the game yet is. A few weeks ago, we discussed that famous Japanese studio Platinum Games was hard at work on an action RPG called Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, which is based on the popular Japanese-only iOS and Android RPG, but they've been taken off the project. Psy Games, the team behind the original RPG, will develop the game internally. Website Push Square reports that Bee Simulator will come to PS4 later in 2019. What? Publisher Take-Two re revealed that Red Dead Redemption 2 has surpassed 23 million copies sold worldwide, contributing to $1.249 billion in revenue for the quarter, up more than 100% year over year. And finally, publisher Tecmo Koei has revealed that its surprise cult hit Neo has passed 2.5 million copies sold. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. That's all we have for the news, Chris. Wow. We do have some games to get through. All right. New games coming to PlayStation Network for PS4, PS3, and Vita this week. Would you like to go first or second? I'll go. Alvastia Chronicles comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Set out on an adventure in a retro-styled world. After encountering the man who killed their parents 10 years ago, Elmia and her brother, Alan. <laughs> Is that Alan or yeah, Alan? Alan. That's, that's, Very, that's, it's the only normal name here. Alan. Set out to avenge their deaths and restore peace to Alvastia. Nothing wrong with the name Alan, but it just seems a little out of place in that. Is it normally story. spelled that way? L A L A L A N. I think so. 
A L L E N is the last name Allen. I guess that's would be. I don't know. What Whatever. Do I know? Who cares? Code Realize Wintertide Miracles comes to PS4 and Vita. Discover a new Yuletide tale as the Seal City is unco- is covered in a blanket of white. Uncover fresh intrigue as Cardia delves into the mysteries of her own family and the and and the dashing suitors. Or whatever. Canarium comes to PS4. Canarium is a chilling game following four scientists who challenge what we normally consider the absolute limits of nature. Inspired by H.P. Lovecraft's uh, novella At the Mountains of Madness, but largely set after the original story. Okay. Degrees of Separation comes to PS4. Degrees of Separation is a 2D puzzle platformer in which duo Ember and Rhyme use their contrasting powers to manipulate heat and cold to overcome obstacles. Through cooperation, they will learn about each other and the fate of their worlds. The mechanics sound pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Eden Tomorrow comes to PSVR, developed exclusively for PSVR. Eden Tomorrow is a story-driven sci-fi action adventure. The main characters are a human plagued by amnesia and a drone called Newton, who must work together to survive on this hostile alien planet. Far Cry New Dawn comes to PlayStation 4. Dive into a vibrant post-apocalyptic Hope County, Montana, 17 years after a global nuclear catastrophe. Man, they're just spoiling Far Cry 5 there, I guess. Yeah, Lead the that. fight against the highwaymen who seek to take over the last remaining resources or fight alongside a friend in online co-op. Can't wait. Can't wait to play it. Excited? Big priority for me. Yeah. Love it. Hyperjam comes to PS4. Hyperjam is a neon-soaked arena brawler with a dynamic perk drafting system that makes each match different from the last. The fusion of lethal weapons, stackable perks, and furious combat, and a killer synthwave soundtrack will keep you cool. coming back for more. Synthwave. synthwave. I dig it. Yeah, me too. Intruders Hide and Seek comes to PS4. Intruders Hide and Seek is a first-person stealth game. An intense thriller combining psychological terror with the point of view of of a defenseless boy. (laughs) Three dangerous intruders slip into the house and your only option is to hide. It's Home Alone, basically. But but more realistic Home Alone? It's like Home Alone with uh, Amnesia the Dark Descent. (laughs) Jump Force comes to PS4. The most famous manga heroes are thrown into a whole new battleground. Our world! Uniting to fight the most dangerous threat, the Jump Force will bear... The, the, the Jump Force. The Jump Force will bear the fate of uh, the entire humankind. Ultimate Edition launches on February 12th. Ultimate Edition launches on February 12th. It's a weird thing to put in the description for a game. The Jump Force will bear the fate of the entire humankind is what it says. Of yeah, the, I know. People are really stoked about that game, by the way. It looks interesting. It looks... Uh... The King's Bird comes to PS4. Escape into a world kept secret by a tyrant and discover the truth about your freedom. The King's Bird is an artistic momentum-based game that seamlessly combines precision platforming with physics-based gliding. The Liar Princess and the Blind Prince comes to PS4. After accidentally blinding a noble prince, (laughs) a wolf dons a princess disguise to help set things right. Transform between the wolf and the princess to solve puzzles, evade traps, and guide the prince through the dangerous forest towards a cure. Man, okay. Meow Motors comes to PS4. Meet the kitties, the main heroes of this go-kart racing game. Overcome obstacles by drifting through mines and bombs. Blast your competitors with astonishing weapons and gather power-ups to be the fastest driver on the track. Metro Exodus comes to PS4. Flee the shattered ruins of the Moscow Metro and embark on a continent-spanning journey across the post-apocalyptic Russian wilderness. Lose yourself in a sandbox survival experience and follow the thrilling storyline. Can't wait to play it. Yeah. Really looking forward to playing it. Minesweeper Genius comes to PS4. Train your brain, help Aristotle, the genius with a broom, sweep the minefield to regain his memory and escape from the alien scientific experiments, discovering where all the bombs are hidden. Mix-up? Wait, what? Mix-ups by Paugi? Yeah, they, this Paugi company has been releasing a bunch of these word puzzle games. I don't know what this is. Uh, well, that comes to PS4 and PS Vita. The mixed-up anagram puzzle, where three connected words are hidden among a jumble of letters. There's only one solution that uses every letter once, and it's more challenging than you might think. All right. Yeah, okay. 
Nekopara Volume 2 comes to PS4. Heartfelt Neko comedy open for business. The newest edition will feature a new opening movie and theme song, all new hand-drawn art from Nekoworks, and new fully voiced story scenes. Okay, I think this is uh, Zhang. Uh, presumably, yeah, I would say Zing, but I, I don't... Zing is probably actually more accurate. I don't know. X-I-N-G, Zing, <laughs> The Land Beyond, comes to PS4 and PSVR. Zing, The Land Beyond is an atmospheric first-person puzzle adventure game set in the afterlife. In death, you will find yourself on a journey across a series of mysterious lands filled with the thoughts and personalities of those long lost. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, we have, a, I mean, there's a few recommendations to be made in here. I mean, we've not played any of these games yet, but Far Cry New Dawn, I'm stoked about. Metro, Metro Exodus. Exodus, I'm stoked about. And there's one more. I know people are excited about Jump Force. Mm -hmm. And there's a few games in here that sound like they have interesting mechanics, but I don't know that you guys, you know, you guys would care that game. Uh, where is it? I think Canarium. Separation. Canarium sounds cool. Uh, Canarium sounds interesting just because I, I like Lovecraft stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. that would be cool. Yeah. Degrees of Separation seems to have some cool mechanics, but who knows? Go, you know, go look yeah. up videos and see for yourself. But yeah, for me, Far Cry and Metro are must plays. I'm going to be playing them both. I think Far Cry first and then Metro. Chris, we have six items from the listeners before we move on remember again to submit your questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas to this show and to also get every episode three days early and ad free you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash collins last stand just like kevin McAnally did salute to the legends of cnc hit factory after completing re2 and previously re7 in vr i really felt the, the value in both games because of their design structure rewarding multiple replays by alternate scenes and rewards such as infinite ammo or best weapons to then push me into further replays that push the game dynamic is there an appetite for this anymore? Has this game design been lost? With Battle Royale games that reward cosmetics and no game-changing incentives, I've always never enjoyed sinking my game time into them. Is the design possible in today's environment? Longtime supporter, thank you for the amazing work output. Thank you, Kevin, for your inquiry. This is what we were talking about earlier with Resident Evil 2, Chris, and I really feel like this is uh, something that should be embraced more. It is very old school to give people a lot of bang for their buck in the, let's call the aftermarket of a game when you're done with it. Yeah. And I love that Resident Evil 2 did that with its trophies, like the 14,000 steps trophy is like really quite unique, you know, playing the game without using ink ribbons or saving. A lot of these things are coming through the trophy and achievement metagame. But I understand why people are turned off by games that don't do it because you just don't feel like I like when games, even if I'm not interested in playing it anymore, I like when there's more. Yeah, yeah. no, I understand. But I mean, it, it does look like that style of game isn't dead because we uh, like he said, apparently Resident Evil 7, I can't speak to that because I haven't played it. But apparently he feels like Resident Evil 7 followed that kind of structure very well. And that was a, a relatively successful game that a lot sure. of people really enjoyed. And that's a new game. It's not a remake of an old one. So that design mentality, I don't think, is necessarily dead. I think he's specifically talking there. And he's right about how just being able to play it in VR as opposed to playing it normally is a, true, is, a, yeah. is a different way of doing it. Yeah, I just feel like games that pack a lot of meat onto the bone. And I'm not talking about too much meat. I'm not talking about side quests that go on for 200 hours. The Assassin's Creed Odyssey, everyone's playing for 100 hours to platinum. If that, that's what you want to do, that's fine. I'm not talking about that much density, but I like these things where it's like, now you play on a different difficulty level. Now you don't have access to weapons. Ammo scarcity is already a part of Resident Evil. So I think the metagame and trophies is like what's really driving a lot of this forward from my perspective. Yeah, no, it's definitely cool. And I, I, I would love to see more games designed with this kind of like mentality in mind. David Stano wrote into us and said, hello, Chris and the wise one, Colin. Huh. Ooh, you're the wise one now. With the news of the PS5 now circulating like crazy, do you think Sony will continue the VR trend and release a new VR headset for the PS5? Or is VR very much like 3D, where it just dies? So I'm not going to go into any more of what he says. I want to discuss this particularly. Yeah. I don't think it's either or. I think I don't think it's like one or the other. I actually think the third choice is probably true, that what we have now is going to work with PS5 and that we would presumably or conceivably get an upgraded version of it that will have higher resolution yeah. and allow for a more robust experience. I would agree. So I don't want, David, I don't want you to be thinking about it as like, 
you know, yeah, Sony dropped 3D like a fucking bad habit. That came and went like in, in the blink of an eye. There was like a few games that used it. They released that TV. The industry in general, the, the entertainment industry in general, like was all for it for, for like a hot minute. And then it just died instantaneously. That, that was like maybe two years, three years tops. Yeah, 3D was weird. I hated it. It was I'm, stupid. It was I 2009 to like 2011, I think, was like that period of time where it was just like, is a 3D TV? You got a 3D TV in your house? And then everybody got a 3D TV and nobody ever used it. Yes. I have a 3D TV in my, uh, in my parents have one. But I used it once. It's just a stupid gimmick. It's an, it is a dumb gimmick. It's the same thing with 3DS. Like when I got my 3DS when it came out, I immediately put the 3D slider down and never played with it again. It, ever. It's nauseating. It is horrible. It's actually like some sort of Guantanamo Bay kind of torture thing <laughs> going on there. It's like it's horrendous. It is really bad. And depending on the game, it gets really, really bad. I just never understood it. And it's the unfortunate thing about 3DS is that it's just baked into the name. Which, yeah, <laughs> but it didn't end up really mattering. Jason Brandt wrote into us and said, Chris and Colin, every so often a game will ask if I want to turn the subtitles on before the game begins. This question creates much anxiety in my life. I'm curious to hear how y'all decide to play with or without subtitles. Since I'm a weirdo, I rarely change the setting once the game has started because I want consistency. This means I have to decide yes or no based on arbitrary criteria I have created. It's a lot of pressure. For instance, I don't want subtitles for cinematics, Uncharted, but I do want them if I'm talking to NPCs constantly. Skyrim, unless those NPCs are fairly lifelike or beautifully animated. Horizon, enough from me. What about you? I don't want consistency. I don't, I don't want any of that. You know what I want? I want every time I put subtitles on, I want every single, every different line of dialogue to be in a completely different font, completely different color with different kinds of background uh, strokes. You're a man of fine aesthetic, yeah. is what you're telling me. <laughs> I play with subtitles on. Yeah. I often do. Just because I find that it's more annoying for me to have, there's a, let's say a cutscene's happening and then somebody says something that I just didn't hear because the mixing's off, which happens a lot. All like a lot of times, like especially in like, I know this isn't about movies, but like I, I've seen so many movies where I'm like, what did he just say? I have no idea what he just said. And now I'm like annoyed because I missed it and I shouldn't have because he said that line of dialogue for a reason because it's written there and they want me to know what it is. You know, I, I'd rather just be able to look down and make sure I'm, I'm hearing it correctly. I'm sometimes surprised by how badly games audio can be mixed yeah. in certain games. I will say for as much as I enjoyed playing through the stories of Metro 2033 and Metro Last Light, the audio mixing when it comes to ambient sound music and the crescendoing music and stuff and then like voices that are constantly going horrible. I must have missed 90% of the dialogue in my playthroughs of those games, you know? So they need to be mindful of that too. Not that I have like the finest television or whatever, but Seth Arnold wrote into us and said, Hey, Colin and Chris, the question is geared more towards Colin as it's about trophies. I never really cared about platinums until I started listening to you on Podcast Beyond. Now I'm addicted. How do you feel about using a guide in order to get a platinum trophy? Does it still count as earning the platinum? Look I, you look what you did, by the way. You made this guy an addict. I know. That's by his own admission. Sorry about that. Now... I have no aversion to using guides. I don't think I've, I have 79 platinum trophies. I don't think I've gotten one of them without looking at a guide because I'm not going to like waste my time. I'm not like beat by beat following a walkthrough, but what I'm looking at is saying like, this is what you need to do. These are the missable trophies. These are the things you need to keep an eye on. Anyone who hunts trophies knows that that's necessary. You're not going to go into one of these games blind and miss a missable trophy 50 hours into the game and then fucking kill yourself because you have 98% of the trophies, <laughs> you know, which has happened to me like five times. Like, I should have way more platinum trophies than I do because there's like these. Actually, like I said in Titanfall 2, I'm missing one bronze trophy. I have every other trophy in the game. You know, what's, I'm missing what's the bronze trophy. It's the one where there's that speed test where you have to run a wall, bounce along the walls and do it in like 40 seconds. It's impossible. Ah, oh, I could do that. Put it on. No, I. Because I, then it's not. Put it on. I'll get it for you. No, you can't. I can't do that because then everyone's going to know. You just talked about it. I could have just. <laughs> that's not. I can't do that. I'm sorry. I can't do that. Chris, I'm curious. Before we go on to these final two questions. Have trophies become any more relevant to you since you started doing this show? Only slightly. I, I felt like a, a brief sense of achievement when I got uh, the Spider-Man one, and I was like, ah, oh, that's nice. 
but I, I don't know. Maybe Resident Evil 2, if I'm feeling like a psycho, to get that, what, what is it, the 14,000 steps or whatever? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's you, a tough one. You have to beat the game on the hardest difficulty and get an S rank with both characters. Oh, an S rank with both characters? But a lot of people are saying like it's like straight up impossible. Yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, when I looked at the trophies, I'm like, nah. Animusha, I think I could probably do if I go back to it, but yeah, not Resident Evil 2, but I love the metagame. It is depressing though because, oh, I'm sorry. You know what? Crash Team Racing. I'll get the Platinum in that. We don't even know what the trophies are yet, so that's a bold proclamation. I'll do it. I am declaring it now. I will have the Platinum trophy in that game. And I'll, I'll say this. I'll get it in the first week. Oh. I'm that confident. Huh. That is confident. Mm. That's a lot of confidence. If we get the game early, I will even challenge you to be the first one to get the Platinum. Because uh, eh, we, we can follow along on the, on the leaderboards and see. Ooh. Okay. All right. We'll I, see. I've never been the first person to Platinum in the game. I have been the person to Platinum, be the second person to Platinum in the game. So. I know I can do it in a week. I don't know if I could be the first person in the world, but I know I can do it in a week. We'll see. I will remind you of this challenge. But hey, uh, Seth, thank you for your question. And I don't think there's anything wrong with using strategy guides. Maybe that's because I wrote them for a living. That's how I got into the industry. I've written 94 of them. So I like walkthroughs yeah. and guides and I like being very meticulous. And I'm also a meticulous gamer. The trophies just feed into that. I like 100%ing things, getting every collectible. See, yeah, yeah. You know, and I only have so much time to waste. So I like going into games blind. As a good, and when I'm really excited about a game, I'm not going to play it with a guide and there won't be guides for it anyway. So like when I play Days Gone or The Last of Us or something like that, I'm not going to have any idea. But surely, eventually, like, you, you'll you run into something that's just, like, absurd. Like, run through these hoops in, like, a the order of, you know, odd, even, odd, odd, even, odd, even. You know, like, or just some, like, how are you supposed to figure that out without being an actual for real psycho? It's the worst. Dude, there are games with, there's this one game called Super Stacker on PlayStation 3. It was this, like, puzzle game where you balance blocks on top of each other. Really hard game. The tro People should go look up the trophies in that game. They are fucking impossible. What's when I game? tell you almost no one has them, no one has them. Wait, what's the game? Super Stacker, it's called. Super Stacker. Dude, the trophies impossible. It's like you're taking blocks and stacking them together and you have to stack this tower higher, higher, and higher so it doesn't fall. And if it falls, you lose. The trophies are all doing 10 stages in a row perfectly without failing. The first 10, the second 10, the third 10, not even possible. Like you have to be a psychopath to try to go and get that any of those trophies <laughs> at all. I forgot that game existed until I reminded myself. Trent Jacobs wrote into us and said, hey there, CNC. Due to the wild year of work, 60 plus hours are the norm at the moment. I've missed out on almost everything gaming from 2018 and all of the amazing PlayStation exclusives for sure. When I did get the chance to game, I always chose neck down FPS titles that I was familiar with to just get a few multiplayer matches into Unwind. My question is this. With the backlog of widely unanimously praised games from the last year to play, which ones PS or otherwise would you guys recommend to play? And what games would you recommend to maybe just watch the campaign on YouTube to be in the know? For instance, would I be better served watching RDR2 and then investing the time I saved into playing God of War or Spider-Man? At the end of the day, I just want to maximize my time while still experiencing all of the great titles out there. Chris, what say you to Trent? Red Dead Redemption 2 is just like such a huge time sink. It's a huge, enormous game. I think it's worth experiencing, but it's also kind of hard for me to justify to a normal person with like an actual work week who, you know, isn't paid to play the game or who, who, who has no kind of business incentive to do so to spend that much time on it. I think God of War is far more manageable. I think Spider-Man is far more manageable. I think you're doing yourself a disservice missing out on Red Dead, but at the same time, what are you doing? Stop texting me. Sorry, that was my uh, mom. Unbelievable. Hey, mom. Unbelievable. Is she yelling at you to go to school like the mom and youtubers life omg on playstation 4? yeah yeah what is it that she said she just kept coming in you and never, telling, you're, you're, telling <laughs> me to go to class go to go to work go to like, get out of this bedroom <laughs> i don't know there's a lot of there's there's so much to play it depends on what you're into like it seems like you're into um fps which means like you're probably more into like action-oriented games red dead is a very slow game so i would recommend going through that when you have the time to play it but god of war i think would be a pretty good place spider-man you definitely love 
Spider-Man is a pretty perfect place to start, I think. Yeah, trying Spider- to catch I think up. Spider-Man and God of War are great recommendations. 20 hours each or so if you want you want to spend a little more time with them to see everything and get platinums. Yeah. Uh, I think Detroit Become Humans another game that you might want to play. I think Red Dead's a must play. I think you would really be doing yourself a disservice not playing it, but again, that's a game that you're going to want to dedicate yourself to, and so I think those are four great AAA games that you missed in 2018 that you want to check out. Yeah. Chris, the final inquiry comes from Paul Yates. He wrote into us and said, hey, both new patron here. Thank you. My question to you both is this. Do Japanese games, especially JRPGs, get a free ride in regards to cheesy dialogue? Mass Effect Andromeda, which admittedly had some bad writing, got the piss taken out of it because of the bad cheesy dialogue, but I have never understood how Japanese games are adored because of the cheesiness factor. I mean, I quite enjoyed Persona 5, but what the actual fuck is it all about? There is some cat that talks in it in an embarrassingly cheesy dialogue, and then there is something about a pedophile teacher? Is that true? (laughs) I don't know. I've never played Persona 5. I am not criticizing these games, but I just don't understand the free ride they get with some awful dialogue. I could just be very old. You might be, Paul, and you are allowed to criticize the pedophile teacher that may or may not exist, of course, Yeah. in Persona 5. Now, expectations are different in the localization and in the inflection of the way a game is supposed to sound. Japanese voice acting, if you understood Japanese, which we don't, but if you talk to people that do, there's just a different way that lines are delivered. There's a different cadence. There's a different, like I said, inflection. And so translating those literally, even when you're localizing them as well, because there's a difference between, of course, translation and localization, I still think that that shines through and then you're reading the parts as they are. So I think that the sensibilities are just different. Yeah, I think it's a lot of the same thing, reasons why like people talk a lot about like the dubbing uh, situation between like anime, like, oh, do you watch anime with subtitles or do you watch it dubbed? I think a lot of people clown on dubbed anime because it's like, oh, it's English. But we we clown on dubbed anime because we're familiar with our language and we know what's kind of subpar. You watch a Japanese anime and you don't know Japanese and you're just reading the subtitles. They could very well be horrendous actors. And you wouldn't know because we wouldn't we're not familiar enough with that language to pick up on the inflection. Like We don't know. Right. To us, it just sounds like, ah, that's must be good. You know, I'd imagine it's somewhat similar to that. They just, there's just very different inflection styles, very different writing styles. I don't necessarily think that they get a pass. Kingdom Hearts specifically torn apart as far as the dialogue goes. Like I've seen so many videos of just stilted, like I've seen at least 10 compilations of all the characters making anime size. And it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I just think expectations and your constitution to withstand this kind of stuff, I think, differs. Yeah. I think there's no doubt that Western games are pushing the boundaries as far as writing, dialogue, and execution in that regard. But there is something campy and cheesy about Japanese games that I think are part of their allure. And I think you kind of have to embrace that, too. And... You know, like Chris said, I think that we can make fun of it. And and, and I, I think that people do make fun of these games. I mean, this goes all the way back. To, I was in high school when Final Fantasy X came out. Everyone made fun of the voice acting in that game. The laughing scene in Final Fantasy X yeah, is exactly. like the most notorious scene in any Japanese game ever. Even though in, in the context of that scene, he's supposed to be laughing poorly, right? Uh, yeah, I think he's trying to laugh or he's something. Trying like to, he's, he's trying try- to learn to laugh. I don't know. He's I don't like care. pretending to laugh. So it's it's almost like it's supposed to sound bad. When it came to Vita, I tried again. I'm like, I, I always hated Final Fantasy X. I couldn't stand it. When it really? came out, I was in 12th grade. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand it. What was so different? What was so bad about it that wasn't so bad about the others? I think it was a few things. A, I think that like after Final Fantasy IX brought things back to a Dungeons and Dragons style, old swords and dragons shit that this jump forward to like futurism was weird. I thought that right. the main character, Titus or Titus is horrible. Titus. Titus. And the voice acting was bad. I didn't find the mechanics all that. I just, it, it was missing a lot. It was the first Final Fantasy game in my mind, core Final Fantasy game that had no heart, no flair, nothing special about it. Symphony of the Night's another one with horrendous, yeah. <laughs> horrendous voice. It's a game everybody loves, oh. but like that, the voice acting in that game is horrendous. But 
it's her it's her it's also it's iconic it, yeah exactly and it's also incredibly compressed like if you go listen to ps1 voice i think it's so compressed it's so funny it's frustrating because it probably took up half the disc on the ps1 i don't remember being that compressed it, it, like go listen maybe to, my memory is just like yeah i skewed. think your memory is a little skewed i mean go listen well i'm trying to think of a, another example other than that on PS1. Well, the Resident Evil games have super compressed. Mega Man 8 is a great example of compressed, not only compressed audio, but people literally flubbing lines and the lines just stay in the, in the game. It's Japanese people doing English voice acting, you can tell. So Dr. Wily is the la is the bad guy in Mega Man. There's a light with or a line with Dr. Light, who's Mega Man's creator, where he's like, and we have to go get Dr. Wa Dr. Wily. You know, like, oh, like, this, yeah, like it's Dr. totally Dr. one one take for everything. <laughs> Awful. People should go look up Mega Man 8's voice acting if you don't know what I'm talking about. That's triple A back in the day, I guess. It was. I mean, even back in like when Oblivion came out, there's that infamous line with that, you, that there's some character in the game that starts her line of dialogue. It's like, and in the realm of, wait, let me start that again. And in the realm. Really? <laughs> yeah, for real. It's in the game. That's awesome. In Oblivion. In Oblivion. That's fucking cool, man. Which I, didn't I guess know in that. retrospect, <laughs> doesn't it's seem not that not a surprising. huge surprise, I guess, but yeah, yeah. that's that's why I didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll cut to you after this. Some audio engineer was so bored cutting this shit up, he just like, he's like, ah, I've it just had a past QA. It's so good. It's the best. Well, Chris, that's all I have for today for Sacred Symbols. But it was a good episode, I think. Yeah, I think so. I want to leave you with this thought that I had. Okay. Aaron and I sometimes buy these little, they're like 10 ounce Coca-Cola bottles. The I smaller see. bottles, like the squat bottles, they come in like groups of eight. Yeah, the sad ones. Exactly, the sad ones. So I was just by, you know, muscle memory, taking the scissors out and cutting the little, you know, the things, like the plastic holders, the beer. Yeah, yeah to save the seals. Is this really a thing? Like, what? I feel like I've been doing this for 30 years now, and I don't know who told me that I was supposed to be doing this or if it did someone one time see a swan in the in the ocean you wouldn't see a swan in the ocean uh, <laughs> I, I, did someone at one time see a seagull in the ocean with this thing wrapped around and thought it was like a catastrophe or is this a really are, are fish and wildlife really getting stuck into this thing like they're trying to cross the Korean DMZ they are getting like caught in them a lot like it, it is a, it's a good practice I would generally like I'm not like some crazy envi environmentalist I'm not going to burn down the universe but, but you know, yeah, cut those rings if okay. you can. Wasn't there like a thing with Yoplait yogurt bottles getting stuck on squirrels' heads and suffocating them? <laughs> that sounds right. They get their head in there to get all the food yeah, and they, they get can't get it and out. And then they can't take it off and then they die and they suffocate. Jesus. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. So not, you should probably be taking your Yoplait bottles and destroying them somehow <laughs> before you throw them away. Incinerate them. Well, Chris, I appreciate your time. Of course. Hope you have a great rest of your week. I appreciate all of you guys out there for listening to us here on Sacred Symbols. Please let your friends and family know about the show. Leave us nice reviews on free feeds and support us on Patreon. If you can, we'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Ethan Barbie, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fantana, Fodios Frank. 
Mangos, Connor Gagian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Caleb Hager, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Greg Juleps, Anton K, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Christian Larson, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Aaron Litwiller, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Nicholas Mask, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinshin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Israel Petrico, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Matthew Plaster, Lawrence F. Prokop, John Quinn, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Riebenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Adam Van Curen, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Mike Wayne, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Wyatt Henry, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Mubarak, Sticks and Crits, Richter86, That Rescue Guy, Andrew, Ian, Dav9834, Titus Rex, Donk2015, Gavin, and Random Guy Radio. Yeah, well, it bangs a good uh, little voice. Time yeah. to go mobile. Yeah, it's 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 all. <laughs> he's right. awesome. Huh? I forgot about yeah. that stupid line. Yes, brother. <laughs> that movie's really bad, though. No. Yes. No. You like The Dark Knight Rises? Better than any of the other ones. Oh yeah. my goodness! No, Colin. Yes. All right, we, this is not the time for this. Is that the time or place? Fair enough. This <laughs> could get heated. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home. It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.